Okay, so this week on Board Chitless, we are continuing the tradition of having crazy good guests. And this week, we're honoured to be in the company of brothers Adam and Brady Sadler, formerly of Fantasy Flight Games, the legendary brains behind, to name just a few titles, Descent 2.0, X-Wing, Tannhauser, The Walking Dead, the Warhammer Quest adventure card game, and the upcoming arcade game-inspired Street Masters. So, Adam and Brady, thanks for coming on the show with us today. Hey, guys. Thanks for having us. Yep, thanks. And uh, we'll just get straight into the questions, if that's okay with you. Could uh, you start by giving us some background on your gaming interests and what led you to board game design in the first place? Sure. Brady and I both got into gaming around, like, serious gaming around the same time when we were went to a game store looking for out-of-print expansions for HeroQuest, um, and we stumbled upon Warhammer. And that's kind of what got me really into games. I was always into miniatures. I'm a huge miniatures gamer. But playing Warhammer got me really into the hobby um, and interested in starting designing stuff. And so I was working at a puzzle and game factory at, uh, during college. And there was a need for a board game designed off of the Avatar movie IP. And nobody wanted to do it. And nobody knew how to do it. So I was like, yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll design one real quick. Um, and of course, I designed oh, a way too complex game for eight-year-old kids, so I did. I had to, <laughs> I had to simplify it quite a bit. Um, but that was kind of my first exposure to actually designing my own game. And, and actually, right out of college, uh, I started working at uh, Fancy Flight Games, and that's kind of you know, been doing it since then. What's your story, Bailey? <laughs> yeah, as I was going to say, mine's pretty similar um, for the most part. Like uh, we kind of took a like I had mentioned we were into uh, Warhammer and stuff kind of in our late teens but we kind of got away from gaming for a bit because we were, were both musicians at the time and we uh, were in a lot of bands um, and it, like we focused more on music and stuff but it wasn't until I got to um, like fantasy inspired European power metal and stuff like that it got me back into that whole that mindset so I started writing a lot and I ended up writing a book for the band that we were in it was a fantasy band that had a, had a big huge background story so I started working on the novel for it um, and so that kind of got me into that mindset of gaming and everything. Quick, quick little fun fact for that, with Natalie's talking about that, is if you if you guys watch the Brady's little videos on YouTube of him uh, going through the overview of Street Masters, the music that was on the background is, is actually uh, our band Lauren Guard. Yeah. Nice, <laughs> nice so plug that's, there. That's kind of that that's, kinda that's like Lauren Guard for the listeners there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so the, uh, the the funniest story behind that is um, I actually the heavy metal playing playing drums in a metal band got me back into gaming and and that i think it was my first introduction to cooperative gaming um through like arkham horror the board game that one blew me away because i didn't know what a cooperative game really was and ever since that game i've kind of just been obsessed with the concept and that's like pretty much why we only design cooperative games is because i only think in that way <laughs> right no it's, it's uh, interesting you say that actually especially with starting out with hero quest i can remember that was the uh that was my favorite ever Christmas was getting that thing, opening Hero Quest, and just seeing all the parts and being like, "Wow, this is a, oh, yeah. th- this is a, as good a Christmas present as I'm ever going to get." And it was nothing is ever bested that. Um, yeah, and, uh, and of course, I think. Sorry, go on. I was gonna say I think Brady got that for Christmas too, and uh, my yes. mom would run us through. She would play as Zargon. She obliterated us, and like I remember one night going to bed crying because she killed Scrap <laughs> Quest Two, and I'm like, "Why did you do that, Mom?" And she's like, "I'm that's you just got to learn to play rough." It's <laughs> <laughs> an important life lesson. She wasn't pulling any punches. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah, I think I probably designed about a hundred scenarios for Hero Quest as well, which I think probably fed into yeah. any sort of pretensions I ever had about game design as well. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. I hear a lot of Hero Quest kind of dragging people, kicking and screaming into the world of game design. <laughs> so, 
And and interestingly enough as well, Arkham Horror and was the game that got me back into gaming as an adult as well because I sort of went off it for a, a few years and everything, and then um, I, I, I guess I found it stumbling through the internet and um, ordered it online, received it, and it was like, wow, you know, games can do this now, and it was like an RPG in a box kind of experience. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that so that leads you into um, well the games that you've designed. I mean, you guys both worked with um, Fantasy Flight Games. Could you talk to us about, um, this one's for Adam. Could you talk to us about the development of uh, Descent Journeys in the Dark 2nd Edition, how that came about, um, and maybe tell us a little bit how about the team that you were working with, because you were working with Corey Kay and Daniel Clark. And I mean, was Kevin Wilson still involved at that point? Well, uh, this whole thing was kind of an interesting story because I was very new at, at FFG. Um, and F- the way I got introduced to FFG was actually through Descent. I bought this huge box from the game store and it was just enormous. And I was like, oh, this is like reminds me kind of like HeroQuest. And so that's how I knew about FFG. And so when I went to go apply there, you know, I talked about that and they knew that I liked it at Descent. So when I, I got hired on, I was hired on as a producer. So I wasn't designing games. I was just helping, you know, produce the games. Who got and you so, that job though? Who, who got you into the door yeah. there? I forget. <laughs> Brady was working in marketing at the time. So he definitely got me a... Uh, he kept bugging them a lot, saying, you should hire this guy. <laughs> did Brady but, uh, get you a job, or did you just turn up and they just thought he just turned up one day? He's <laughs> like, you're in the wrong department, Brady. What are you doing here? <laughs> Brady has a bad habit of getting me jobs. So, <laughs> so when I when I started there, um, I saw that I was working on Tannhauser as a producer, and I they didn't have anybody designing it, so I was kind of you know dipping my feet into development work, and they noticed that. But they saw that I saw that um, Descent was on the schedule, and I was like, you know, I was bugging my manager, please put me on that game. I want to be the producer for it. Um, you know, I just I'll do I'll do whatever I need to do it. Um, and I got put on it. But the weird thing was there was no designer assigned to it. Um, so it kind of just I was sitting on it. And I was like, I started jotting down ideas and and you know testing out some things, and I said I had tons of ideas for it. So I just kind of became the designer for the game just because of my desire to do it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I kind of just, you know, took it over. Um, so I was I was working on that for a lot of my time at FFG. Um, with the team involved, I kind of pulled Dan Clark involved into it because he, um, there was a lot of stuff designed for it, and um, he has a lot of experience with con- uh, developing content for all kinds of games. He's, he's really good at that kind of thing. Um, so he was kind of my, you know, sounding board for most of the design. He was involved pretty much 80% of the time, I think, um, right from the beginning. Corey was uh, kind of my manager at the time. Um, I have had a lot of different managers there, but I think that he was my manager, but he oversees all game design at FFG. So anything pretty much goes to Corey. So I kind of met with Corey um, with kind of vision meetings, you know, overarching, overarching direction for the design, things like that. So he kind of helped guide that. Um, but me, Dan, me, me and Dan Clark probably were busy doing most of the, the work on that one. Um, I didn't work with Kevin at all. He was, I didn't see him much in the office actually. Um, he worked different hours, but he, I, I think I talked to him one time about it, some of his experiences playtesting Descent. Um, but yeah, that was pretty much that. How that all that was involved with that one. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> nice one. And Brady, so over to you now. Could you tell us a little bit about the development of X-Wing and how that came about? How did you actually find yourself on a gig with that IP? Oh, that was, uh, yeah, that was pretty crazy. It's kind of an unfortunate story. I mean, it's not too uh, tragic of an ending, but um, Jay Little... He, he was the, the main developer of X-Wing, the main designer. He designed the core system, but he ended up having a heart attack 
oh, kind of oh, scared God. everybody at the office. Um, I mean, he, he, he pulled through okay. He's still dealing with some of the after effects, of course, you know, trying to recover from everything. But while he was out, uh, we that was, was actually, actually pretty early. That was really early in the design, too. Like, yeah, he just kind of just started it. It was like a kind of a a rule book. I mean, the, the, the mechanics were there, but the rule book was just kind of like the notes, you know, kind of in, it was laid out in a decent order, but pretty much Adam and I had to jump on to kind of reconstruct all these pieces and everything. So, um, I was actually doing a bunch of expansions for the first edition of mansions. And then I was helping do the first expansion for descent. And as like, you know, all of a sudden everyone put the roadblocks up and saying, Hey, cause this is, I had to go out the door, you know, it was like star Wars was the big deal. So, um, so Adam and I just kind of, uh, took a break from all of our other projects and kind of just convened on that and helped iron out the rule book and, uh, you know, just kind of put together how the scenarios would work in the game um, and streamline that their learn to play guide. Um, and it was a kind of a crash course for us just kind of to learning to learn what had been done with the game up to that point. Cause I wasn't even actually involved with the play testing early on. Um, we just got involved after the fact. So, uh, so it was, I, uh, I do remember uh, Steve Kimball was the guy working on uh, as a producer on that one. And, and he was kind of, uh, just drowning in X-Wing stuff because he was checking out dimensions on ships, getting all these things approved with licensing. He was really busy and he just kept coming to me, Adam, I, you know, I was working on Descent. He's like, I need your help with this. So I remember specifically at the very beginning having to lay out the uh, the movement templates in Illustrator and I was like, I'm just guessing here. I'm not like a mathematician so I hope these <laughs> angles are like correct. <laughs> but luckily they, they, I was like, oh, they stayed the same. That's cool. <laughs> nice. How daunting is it working with an IP like that? Because you guys have worked on um, Walking Dead as well and so Walking Dead, Here's... Star Wars, there's a lot of sort of uh, expectation out there for what people are going to get. Is it daunting? You know, it's it's funny. Yeah, when it comes to that one, it's <laughs> I get a lot of flack for this because I'm I'm not a huge Star Wars guy. Like I've always liked it <laughs> enough, but I've never been, you know, oh my god, Star Wars. So so for me, when I came into it, I didn't think much of it of that. But then oh, again, real, when I when I, when I Saddlers, came, the Saddlers. Oh, that's not the Saddlers. Adam likes Star Wars just fine. That's Brady. <laughs> <laughs> Send all the hate mails. It's Brady. It's Brady to clarify. Brady doesn't like Star Wars. <laughs> Adam so, thinks Star Wars is very cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a good word for it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, but like when I came into something like, you know, uh, Walking Dead, No Sanctuary, that's a little more daunting for me when I'm something I'm like watching every every week, you know, and I'm really into it. And so, so yeah, it does, it does depend on personal taste. So I guess it's more about my own expectations as opposed to what other people are expecting. I want to, you know, you want to make games fun for people, but I don't think too much about how they interpret the theme as opposed to how I think it should be. So that kind of helped me not get too worried worried about too not too caught up in the ip cool okay well, i think i th- i think there is a, a balancing act between working towards what the licensor is expecting or like what they expect out of you um as opposed to what you think people would want to experience if they were playing that game yeah but like for walking fun. dead i'm for walking dead i'm sure the licensor might have been okay with a competitive game where everybody's trying to kill the most zombies or something but like i think the fans of walking dead don't feel that way that you know like, they feel like they're working together to overcome the zombie threat you know to survive yeah, yeah. Well, that, that, that brings uh, a great question, which is, uh, which does come first when you design a game? Is it the mechanics or is it the theme? Theme. Uh, <laughs> yeah, almost always theme. I mean, there's been only a couple times where, um, like Adam and I will mostly butt heads on projects together, but like there are a few times I'll just design little small games by myself. And there's like one or one or two times where like a, a mechanic catches me and I want to roll with it. But almost every time we approach a contract design or something, it's usually always an IP or something involved, um, an established IP. So usually it's always how we want to interpret the theme into mechanics because we're not we're never really we never really approach a game 
to innovate. Like, oh, let's make some innovative, crazy mechanic that hasn't been done before. We just want to focus on the, the fun aspect, the, the fun factor, and the theme being conveyed through the mechanics. So, I'd say a theme always first. Um, yeah, I think that from the like the Walking Dead, for example, I feel like we came out with something that was slightly interesting um, as far as mechanics goes, with the the whole trust mechanic of um, the leader choosing a, um, an approach and everybody having to kind of either agree with them or disagree with them. Um, and it could cause some stress. I haven't really seen that in games before, but we didn't really, that just kind of came naturally out of like, you know, us messing around with, with ideas of how we feel the show works and would work in the game. Interesting. So, um, like, I suppose that plays well with what you're saying before about you, well, especially Brady, like you prefer to play cooperative games. You like to design cooperative games. Is there any sort of stock mechanics that you're going to bring out? It's like when you start a game, it's like, right, this is going to be my foundation. Have you pulled anything in from like previous game designers that you really love? Or do you just literally yeah. start from a complete yeah. blank slate? There's, there's a couple instances where, I mean, it, it's kind of case by case, but um, particularly with uh, our most recent design that, that I'm assuming when this kick, when this uh, podcast goes up, it'll be a, the Kickstarter will be live. Um, it, it launches May 23rd. Um, but Street Masters was uh, developed from a concept I had because I was a huge fan of Sentinels of the Multiverse. I love the fixed deck modularity aspect of that game. Wasn't a fan of the bookkeeping aspect, the tracking stuff, and I didn't like the lack of player scaling really. So um, coming into what I wanted to do, the vision we had for Street Masters, um, that really played off of what I wanted a game like Sentinels to be. So um, I, I, you know, I, I think it's pretty clear if, if someone reads the rules or looks at the game overview, they'll see the inspiration behind that. But it's still its own unique thing because it's it's not barring actual interactions. It's just kind of borrowing the product model and expanding upon it, adding the tactical element, stuff like that. So yeah, there are times where I'll take something that I know exists and I like and I play myself and just do my own take on it. I think for me, a very general mechanic that I almost I generally use in games um, is dice. I always like dice. Um, we, we try to have a lot of dice mitigation in our games to kind of make sure the luck isn't crazy. Mm -hmm. um, but I think... I'm trying to think of games we've designed that don't have dice, and I think I, I can think of one recently. That's about it. <laughs> which which one? <laughs> the, the, I, uh, I don't want my name the, on that. It's, it's the, awful, <laughs> the All Fans of Card Game. It was our first like party oh, game. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It was just cards. I should know that one got like $80,000 on Kickstarter. I should know that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, that, that actually leads me into a, a point there about barring mechanics is um, we actually decided to retheme... Um, Warhammer Quest the Adventure Card Game. Oh and right, yeah. Doing it, yeah. So we're doing a version of that with Awful Fantasy, um, called Epic AF, Epic Awful Fantasy, and um, it's pretty much you know the same game, but it feels way different because it's it's uh, more of a lighthearted, funny theme. Yeah. Um, and it was it was really a lot a lot of fun to work on. Does that does that bleed into like your marketing strategy at all when it comes to Kickstarter? Then have you got people that you've designed a game, you've kind of created your product? Do you then pass that on to anyone else? Usually people approach us um, like we had for Street Masters. We were approached by um, a, you know a publisher that wanted to do it, and they liked our work. Um, for Awful Fantasy, for example, the guys who run the Awful Fantasy Twitter page are guys we've known since high school. We actually have lived with them in in out in a house once when we were in our twenties. And they are all yeah, they're also twins. They're also <laughs> twins. <yeah. laughs> um, and so we've known them for a long time, and uh, we did that Awful Fantasy card game with them as like a just a fun little project because we wanted to do a simple card game that we've, yeah. we usually design big games. We wanted to try to design some small, simple game that our family might play. Um, and we also wanted to get some funny art. 
So that actually succeeded, did pretty well. Um, and so we decided to take it to the next level and do an actual, like, you know, a beefier game. And it lined up perfectly that, you know, we want to do something else with Warhammer Quest since it's not, nothing's happening with it. So um, I'm going to bring it back to life and see if people still want more of it. We were talking before about um, using mechanics from other games or, or types of mechanics and stuff. And I think at the moment, it's fair to say that in the board game industry, we're sort of standing on the shoulders of giants because there's so many great games and great game mechanic styles out there. Um, who are your favorite designers? Don't say each other, uh, but like, <laughs> <laughs> the, the kind of designers that inspire you because they are, I mean, game designers these days are kind of, um, I think one podcast put it as they're the rock stars of the gaming industry. So who are, you, <laughs> who are your favorite game designers? Who inspires you? I think um, just just given my what I play normally, I, th- I have to say Nate French. Um, I got to you know hang out with him when he when I was at FFG. Um, he mostly, I mean, LCGs. I'm not like a big card game guy. I'm not a Magic the Gathering guy, but because he did Lord of the Rings, which I play almost daily, like for the last seven years, I've been playing that game. Um, I have to give credit to him because that inspired me a ton, and I, play, I love the Arkham game. Him and Matt Newman did an amazing job on that. Um, so I, you know, I got to mention that one. I think also I have to mention um, uh, Richard Lonnie of course because of you know arkham uh that really got me into it and i was trying to collaborate on with him on a couple different projects later this year so that'll be that'll be like a dream come true um and i'll probably have to also mention um ignacy trevishek just just because of robinson crusoe because that game when that came out i was just pretty floored by how great of a design that was um but yeah, there's there's a lot of other great designers that are, I'm probably just not thinking about right now. I just I'm all, every time I play a game, I find something that, that inspires me about it. Even if it's a game I don't enjoy, I'll still find something pretty cool that it taught me, you know. So I'm constantly on the lookout for inspiration. Thanks. Yeah, I was actually looking at this question when you sent, you know, when when you asked this, and uh, I was having trouble thinking of like specifics because there's a lot of designers I like stuff they do, but I don't consistently like everything they do. Yeah. So then you know it's not like something that sticks with me. Um, I will say I definitely have to mention pretty much everybody who's worked at the Games Workshop Design Studio because with, I think they're the ones who pulled me into gaming like in general and have kept me you know excited about games. And uh, especially now what they're doing nowadays, it's it's I'm loving a lot of stuff they do. I think as far as specific designers, though, I'd probably have to say a friend of mine, uh, Eric Lang, who I got to hang out with a lot when I was at FFG and I've kept in touch with them over the years. Um, he's probably one of the hardest working designers I know. Um, and, you know, he's always fun to talk to. and He loves talking about music and everything. So um, I'd say he's up there. <laughs> nice. So what is it like working at FFG then? Is there any sort of like secrets behind the velvet curtain that you can spell? Is there any- any game designers that are real jerks? <laughs> I don't know if I'll say any names on the air. <laughs> Again, you can't think, say each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think yeah, Brady, Brady part, sucks. <laughs> yeah. For the most part, um, I mean, I got to start in there in the marketing department, um, and it was quite small when I came in. There's about five or six people in the marketing department, and um, I, I interacted a bit with the 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 R and D teams, the research and development. But the first year I was there, um, it was it was kind of a change of pace for me because, like, I mean, coming into marketing, I, I have a I have a good writing background, but I didn't have a much of a marketing mindset. I love to write about games, so that's a great start. But I naturally transitioned into the R and D side because I just constantly wanted to help out with you know the creative aspects and stuff. So like when I was there, it. it there wasn't something in place that was easy to transition around. Um, and I think they tried to, like most game companies probably have to try to set up barriers between, you know, 
letting everybody go design games, you know, make sure you have your, your focus area, like, you know, marketing, for example. So um, I'm sure nowadays, since we have visited there a couple of times since the whole asthma day acquisition, so they've gotten things a lot more organized and everything. Um, but when I was there, it was, it was a nice environment. I mean, uh, it's, now that I work in corporate, I think I prefer that atmosphere as far as a day job is concerned, because when it comes to game, uh, working on games, I'm, I'm, it's kind of a more, more personal experience. So working at a game company, it's a little harder to let things go because you're not, it's not for you, your design, you're just helping somebody else make their visions come out, you know, yeah. which is fine because I mean, you get to work on games still, but I think I'm just selfish enough where I'd rather just go work <laughs> at a day job and then have, have my games, you know, be my own. Yeah. I would agree. It's a great, it was a great learning experience. We were there kind of early, so it wasn't as um, structured and organized as it is now. When we went to go visit the offices, it's very, it's almost like corporate now. It's like there's cubicles and it's just like very nice looking and everything. Um, We worked there. There was like, you know, bullpens of desks and people sitting around talking about Star Wars and, you know, geeky shows that were going on. I worked in a garage. (laughs) (laughs) It was it was almost uh, a bit of uh, oversaturation, though. Like, if, if you have something that's a hobby of yours and you're around it all yeah. the time, sometimes it loses its luster because you're just you're drowning in it. That's it. <laughs> and yeah, you kind of like you know it loses well. the excitement yeah. sometimes. So when you're working on games full time, sometimes sometimes it can get to you and take the fun out of it. And I realized once we left and we we have jobs that don't necessarily excite us, um, it makes us more excited about games. Um, and you know, it makes us you know we we. Free, we design games freelance on top of our day job, so we stay pretty busy. But it's it's we stay busy because you know it's something that excites us and gets us you know passionate can, about doing it. Can we talk about your day jobs? What is it you do outside of board gaming then? This will be easy because we both do the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> so so after leaving FFG, actually, um, I got a job as a proposal, um, actually a a senior writer for a proposal team at a corporate travel agency, and I did that for about a year in Minnesota. And then their their biggest competitor actually headhunted me and got me a job working out of the Netherlands, but I got to work from home, so I moved back to Indiana here. <laughs> so since then, I've been working for, remotely for different proposal jobs, but now Adam and I both work at a um, a tech technology company. It's a cloud uh, consultancy, mm-hmm. and we work as um, we're writers on the proposal team, so we get to uh, work remotely, and uh, we have a pretty flexible schedule, so it allows us to do whatever game design stuff we need to handle. You know, we have we can prioritize our day pretty well, so it gives us the freedom we need to, to keep doing this. You know, we pretty much have two full time jobs, but it works yeah. out. <laughs> it does. It does sound like the best of both worlds there. You've got the security <laughs> of the day job, but then the time to actually, or the the freedom to be able to shift things around and get on with game design. Yeah, I I, I worked at a before I got this job, I worked at a, an, a corporate job after I left FFG in a, in a cubicle, and I was a manager of a team, and I pretty much spent my t- time doing nothing. Like, you know, my team would run itself, and I was just, you know, supervising them and answering questions, but I wasted so much time sitting at a desk, you know. Now it's like, you know, if you work from home, you can blend your – if you have downtime, you can just yeah. work on something else, you know, keep yourself busy. Yeah, it's nice working for a company that lets – that really encourages you to not try to find work. You know, if there's downtime, yeah. they don't want you to find work, you know, take take your downtime because there might be times then you're super busy and having that work-life balance helps make those busy times more bearable because you know that you spent the, the, the downtime that you had earlier to either clean the house or like, you know, yeah. do the dishes or something. <laughs> <laughs> there, there will be times when I'll get an email at 10.30 p.m. saying I need to format this document tonight so I'll be up till like, you know, midnight, one o'clock in the morning working. Yeah. So there are times like that, but it, it's, you know, I think it's a trade-off and it's worth it. 
Cool. So could you, um, when you are working together and you are designing games, can you describe your working relationship with each other? Who who does the uh, heavy lifting out of the pair of you? Uh, it's, it depends on the uh, project, really. Um, I think the uh, pretty much a consistent thing I've been seeing lately of our most recent designs is that Brady will throw together designs quickly and and then we'll meet together and then I'll just start stripping stuff away that I don't like or whatever and like kind of just kind of picking apart what, you know, what works, what doesn't. Uh, Cause I think, I think Brady gets excited and has tons of ideas and wants everything, you know, wants all these cool ideas. And, and I'm kind of like, I want one idea in this game. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but I, I, I think like, for example, on street masters, we, um, we were having trouble. We had like four different versions of this game before we came um, to a, an actual idea of what we wanted to do with it. And once we hit that idea, I think Brady just went nuts with it. And now he's, you know, Brady's like, designing decks all day every day and i'm kind of like okay well whenever you're bored i might pick up something (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think the standard like practice now is uh you know we'll have we'll have a solid concept or a direction to go like that's uh, that's like the biggest coordination aspect is like getting together and figuring out roughly what what the direction needs to be and um from there just because i'm antsy and i'm just impatient and uh, sometimes I can be a workaholic when it comes to stuff that I care like deeply about. So I'll design like four or five different versions of a game and I'll, I'll know most of them are garbage, but it really gets the ball rolling, you know, where like if, if you move something forward, um, you can like polish it off later. And if it, you know, it, even if it doesn't go anywhere, you've canceled out one direction so you can like focus on something else. So that's tip. I know it's probably not the most efficient work style, but it seems to work best for me because it keeps me, it keeps my, my mind I think turning, it probably is yeah, actually. Years, you, so. You're sort of teaching yourself to fail quickly there and then yeah. recover and, and move on. I think that's a healthy method of uh, of development. That um, yeah, that's 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 definitely my biggest weakness. Is if I'm thinking about something and I don't think it's going to work the way I want it to, I don't bother doing it. And so that I get I get stuck pretty easily on certain things. And then you know I can bounce ideas off Brady and like you know mm. okay, well he's doing this, it didn't work. Now I can now I see how it can work, and now we'll do it this way. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, and, and and the way that like it works out well is because I I don't see th- and, and I openly admit all the time I don't see the fi- the the end point all the time. I'm always focused on like right in front of me. Mm-hmm. So like if I show one of my ideas to Adam uh, he, from an outside standpoint, he can easily say, well, this won't work down the road because of this or something, or something like that. That I I won't see that right away, or I yeah. I won't see outside of my own little box that I'm working in. So um, so that really helps. I mean, and that really for stream masters that like really hit the, I mean. I'll, I'll just preface this by saying I'm going to talk about Street Masters way too much because I'm like the most excited about this game that I've been about any game I've worked on. That's like my, that's like the perfect game we're working on. But with this one, it was four different versions of a game that I just could not make work. And I wanted to so bad because of the theme. And then we finally took a step back and like did our original approach and it just clicked so easily. I probably wouldn't have gotten to that point without doing those four or five crappy games that Adam kept throwing down and burning in front of me. <laughs> so is it, is it Street Masters that's kickstarting on the 23rd of May, did you say? Yeah, yeah. So uh, right, yeah. So four, five days from when this is recording, it'll be launched and I'm antsy as can be. <laughs> <laughs> what are your thoughts on Kickstarter as a platform then? Are you pretty pro Kickstarter, I take it? Have you put a few games out on there and you've got a few more coming up? Uh, well, I've definitely backed a ton of Kickstarter games. Um, I've kind of... Peter, you know, teetered off a little bit lately because I've just got too I got too many Kickstarters that I just then ended up not playing and selling off. So it's like, okay, well, I'm backing too much stuff. I don't need this much stuff. Um, but I think it's great for um, for different reasons. I, I don't think there's ever 
uh, a reason a publisher shouldn't kickstart a game, um, even if they're you know have the money to do it themselves. Mm-hmm. It makes perfect sense to just test the demand for it first and yeah. get the money up front. Um, I uh, as far as working on games or Kickstarter, I'm not as big of a fan of it as I thought I'd be because sometimes it's co- it's cool as a consumer to get a game and a bunch of expansions right off the bat. Yeah. As a designer, it's not always fun to design so much <laughs> stuff up front. Yeah. When you don't know what's going to fund, you know? <laughs> yeah. Do, do you, as so. a designer then, do you see Kickstarter as less as a sort of, you know, advanced order and fulfillment uh, marketplace and more as a proof of concept? Like, this is a really cool idea for a game. We need money to develop it further. Is that how you see it? I think it's moved past that personally. Okay. Like, I, from, because I, I, I was probably not the earliest adopter. I think my first uh, big game I backed was Kingdom Death uh, back in. When was that? 2012 or something? Whenever that Same. launched. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, watching Kickstarter evolve from there. Um, if you ever see a game that's kind of like a concept, it's almost like a joke now. <laughs> We're like, oh, look at this poor guy. Yeah. He can't get his can't get any graphics or some art together. <laughs> so I think now it's a, it's it's much more of a social media platform, which I think is a good thing because it, it does weed out. I mean, th- those concepts. I mean, if they're good enough, they'll get there eventually. So it's you can't really feel too bad because. As long as they stick, because I mean, they have to kind of play with the with the big kids here. You know, we got there's a tough competition. You know, you got a lot of different games going up, so you got to at least have the graphics and the art and get to that point at least to show off some stuff to get people excited about it. So it's much more of a social media vehicle now to to promote a game and to just get build excitement around the release of it. Brilliant. I feel like with as with as many game publishers as there are nowadays, um, they're they're always looking for games. So if if you're a designer and you just, you have a game that you want to publish and it's done but it, like you don't have the graphics or the art um it there's no reason to not just pitch it to publishers because someone will someone will want to publish it and they'll have the money to get some art graphics and make it look real good brilliant i suppose with um with the rise of kickstarter as well preceded a little bit was youtube and we've seen a lot of youtube reviewers there's a lot of social media reviewers there's people like you know shut up and sit down on there where they're quite influential people looking at um, board games and giving their opinions what are your thoughts on the whole board game reviewing on video? Um, do, you th- do you think it's a good thing for the industry, letting people see what's in the box beforehand, or do you prefer to people find their own games, find their own, you know, make their own opinions really rather than being dictated to? How do you see that whole thing? I think I think it's a good tool to have for people that um, aren't sure about what they want or like aren't sure they think they might like something but they don't. I don't necessarily utilize them as much because I I feel like I'm around games so much I can tell if I like something or not um, and someone else's opinion isn't really going to change that. Um, sometimes I might want to see an unboxing to see what's exactly what's all in there. Um, but you know, I have a, on my smart TV, I have YouTube app and I just, that's pretty much the only TV I watch by myself is I watch, you know, game channels, you know, mm-hmm. reviews, stuff like that, just out of, you know, cause it's fun. I enjoy it. Um, yeah, yeah. I constantly have, uh, have my feed refreshed. I'm always checking and watching videos. So that's something I think is crucial to the hobby because it's just, it constantly grows it. And as an example, like, um, you might be familiar with the uh, man versus meeple channel. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So those guys are local to us. Um, they're like right across the street from us. So I've gotten, uh, when we did our, um, no sanctuary walking dead, no sanctuary video with them, they were kind of just getting back back together, but now they're going full time. And now that the, one of the guys, he got to quit his day job and he's doing this full time now. Jeremy is. So that's great because it not, it gives him the opportunity to do something like he loves, but he's yeah. also, you know, building this business that also helps, you know, for example, we needed our street masters video done. So we had our publisher 
hire them to do the video for it. And so it just, it just creates more opportunities for different people, but it also just in general grows the, the hobby and includes more people. So I think it's just an important aspect that it's, it's good to see that it's becoming more popular and there's more channels to follow. And that's one of those cases where I think more is better, you know, I suppose it's elevating the medium really, isn't it? You know, people showing more of an interest in the mainstream can only be good for the community. Yeah. And, just conscious of time here now, guys, so I'm just going to wrap it up with one last question, and uh, that'll be what motivates you to design a new game? Uh, Adam's going to say money, um, but I was say no. <laughs> Mercenary! Right? That, that, just because just that's a factor does not mean that's the primary motivation. <laughs> now, usually for, for me, it's 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 a either a lack of a theme that's, that, that I see is not being utilized uh, in the hobby, or if I watch a cool movie or something, I'm like, oh man, that'd make, make a great a great game like uh like for example i i played that um there's a recent game that came out on kickstarter uh v commandos it was recently released it was a game that was kind of inspired by the old uh pc game that commandos behind the enemy lines game i grew up loving that game so when i played the board game I'm like oh my god so i immediately wanted to design like a card game that was like that you know and even though it's a like board game that i played that inspired me it's just that kind of stuff it, it, the theme always gets me it's something nostalgic that came from my childhood i want to recreate and on the tabletop and i think it's always going to be the the main thing for me is just if i see a cool theme or some kind of cool scene in a movie or something yeah i do think theme plays uh, probably one of the bigger parts of being excited about a game. Um, as far as like you know us signing on for different projects, uh, we've kind of learned after um, a while doing this freelance to not take on as much stuff, especially if it's other people's projects, mm-hmm. helping out with small things. Um, basically, you stretch yourself too thin, and then you you have contracts come up that you need to focus more of your time on, and you end up not doing you know like following through on what you hope to do with other people and help. So it's kind of just do it taking on less projects and focusing you know more on the ones we do have spending more time with those um yeah i think that new projects come along the first thing we look at is the theme and um you know pretty much what kind of game they're looking for is it a big game or a small game i think uh small games are getting more and more appealing to us after the last few projects we've had um so we'd like to knock out a few smaller games um in the future and if we had an offer that's not a cooperative game, we just throw it in the trash. <laughs> <laughs> Brady does. Yes. <laughs> well, listen, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's been really good speaking to you and getting your insights. Um, and we're obviously big fans and we're looking forward to Street Masters. And then uh, Epic, Awful Fantasy to follow. Thanks for coming on the show, guys. It's been great to meet you. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us, guys. Well.